The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Today we're going to take a second look at the trial of Jesus before Pilate. We began this message uh, last week, and so today we're going to look at the trial again. And I want to go straight to the reading of the text. So if you'd find the scripture, Matthew chapter 27, I'll begin reading it. Verse number 11, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Who will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For they knew that for envy, he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Father, we ask that you'd give us wisdom today as we look into this passage and help us, Lord, to see what you'd have for us here and understand what a great sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like you to keep your Bible open if you would and lick your fingers and your toes or whatever else you might use uh, to turn to scriptures because we are going to take a journey through scripture today. Uh, verse number 11 says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Well, that's a great question, isn't it? Are you the king of the Jews? And for Jesus to answer that question in the affirmative is to say that he is the almighty God. Well, Pilate didn't actually intend the question in that way, but before the questioning is over, this is exactly what Jesus will affirm. If you look there in the 22nd verse, Pilate asked the crowd, What shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? And there we see the word Christ that is applied to him. He is the Messiah. Christ is the 
Greek term for Messiah that means that he is the anointed of God and he is the king to whom all heaven and earth must bow and so eventually everyone is going to answer the question that Pilate asked what shall I do with Jesus? What must I do with Jesus? And we understand from the message last week and what we've read here that this was truly a dilemma for Pilate he didn't ask this question of Jesus in relation to his soul. He wasn't thinking about where he would spend eternity. But what he asked and the decision that he made concerning Jesus had everything to do with his eternal destiny. Now to him, Jesus was just another man. He was an oddity to be sure, but he was still just another man. Now Pilate's problem is that he had determined that this man Jesus was innocent and yet he was accused by a crowd that determined that he was guilty. And there was an angry mob there that was asking for his execution. And Pilate was stuck with this problem. What am I going to do with Jesus? Now, I want to back up just for a moment to some of the ground that we covered last week to see why we are where we are and see why Pilate is in such a dilemma. First of all, last week we looked at the cause of the proceedings and the cause is a, is a hateful verdict that had been handed down by a corrupt Jewish court. In verse number 1 of the chapter, the Jewish Sanhedrin had put the stamp of approval on a guilty verdict that was obtained at night during a, a legal, an illegal clandestine trial. And so very early on Thursday morning, the court said that Jesus was guilty of death, and now they had to find a way to carry out that verdict. And here they are, they've come before Pilate, they have to see him, they couldn't execute criminals, and so they decided that he, they would take him to the Roman authorities and they would demand a death sentence. And so very early in the morning, at about 5 a.m., they took Jesus to Pilate's judgment hall. Now Pilate was awake, he was anticipating the arrival because the night before he had he had dispatched a band of soldiers at the request of the Jews and they had told him that they were going to arrest a man who was about to commit insurrection against Rome. And so they brought Jesus to Pilate, but they were good Jews and they didn't want to be defiled before the Passover and so they refused to enter into the Gentile courtroom. And so they were gathered there in the street before Pilate's judgment hall. And Pilate stood on the porch above the people in the street and he heard the charges that were made against this criminal. Now from the outset, this was going to be extremely difficult for Pilate because he was very much aware of why they were there. Uh, he knew that Jesus was not there because of insurrection, because it made no sense for the Jews to suddenly become friends of Rome and deliver up one of their own who was standing against Rome. So Pilate knew this couldn't be the case. They wouldn't be trying to avoid trouble with Rome. And, and, and Pilate saw this as being completely uncharacteristic of the way that they would normally act. And so it seemed like it might have been easy for Pilate just to end the whole thing and tell these people to turn around, go back where they came from, forget about this whole affair, but things are not as they seem. Well, Pilate is caught here between the proverbial rock and a hard place, and it all started out long before this confrontation. His dilemma actually stemmed from his own character issues. 
So we talked about the character of Pilate also, and this is old territory from last week, so I'm not going to take time to go into Pilate again. But suffice it to say that, that Pilate put himself in this position because of the stupidity of his governance. He, he failed to cultivate a good relationship with the Jews. He was insensitive to their customs, and that made it impossible for him to have a, a peaceful tenure in his rule over them. Now, Rome had sent him there as the military presence. It was his job to keep the peace. Uh, Caesar in Rome had no patience for being personally involved in what went on in these little outposts of the empire. And so he expected that there should come no ideas of insurrection or problems or troubles of keeping the peace. He expected none of that should come to his ears because his governors were supposed to take care of all of that. And yet this is exactly what he got with Pilate. There was so much anger that was built up in the people that peace was impossible for Pilate to keep. And his failures did in fact get relayed to Caesar. And Caesar had to get involved. And Siberius Caesar in Rome had to reprimand Pilate. And so now here is Pilate and he can ill afford another incident to come to Caesar's attention. Here is a hotbed of trouble with terrible potential to blow up in his face. And the Jews were absolutely beyond passionate about trying to execute Jesus. And here is Pilate who is stuck because he really did believe that Jesus was an innocent man. Well, Pilate was not a paragon of virtue himself, but we do know that he had a conscience. And we do know that he was charged with the responsibility of doing what was right. And his conscience gave him that ability of good judgment. And he needed that kind of reputation. If he was going to deal with people that came before him, he needed to be known as a just and honest judge. And so here is Pilate. He's stuck. The people bring Jesus to him. And because of all the character issues that he had, he was forced to hear their charges. And we know by reading this that he had nothing, wanted nothing to do with the affair, but for a moment he stuck. And we'll see in just a moment how that Pilate tried to pass judgment off to someone else. And then when that didn't work, he came up with another scheme, trying to set Jesus free. Now thirdly, we consider the charges against the Prince of Peace. As we read the Matthew passage, there aren't any charges that are indicated here. And so we notice in verses 12 and 13, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And so there are accusations made, but Pilate does, or rather Matthew, does not give us the details of these because his purpose is to hone in on this one issue that Jesus was innocent. And so he takes us through all the events of that Jewish trial, the first trial that Jesus had, and he talks about false witnesses that were hired against him. And there from that we can see that Jesus must have been innocent if false witnesses have to be hired. Then he takes us to the admission of Judas, who came back to those who had paid him the money to betray Jesus, and he gave or tried to give the money back, and they said, He was an innocent man. I betrayed innocent blood. And here we see him in the courtroom of Pilate. And Pilate also says he is innocent. And time after time after time, that keeps coming up in all of these trials and all the accusations, Jesus has done nothing wrong. No fault is found in him. So Matthew doesn't list the charges in this passage. We have to go to Luke, who tells us this part of the story. 
In Luke 23, verses 1 and 2, it says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so there are three accusations that are presented. He perverts the nation. No, he did not. He forbids paying taxes to Caesar. No, he did not. He said that he was a king. No, he did not, at least not in the way that they thought. He's not a king at this time. He is no challenge to Caesar. Now, someday he'll challenge all Caesars, but that was not his purpose at this time. Now, here's where I want to pick up from last week. We pick up with Jesus' answers to Pilate, or his answer to Pilate's question. Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? And that question is asked from a political viewpoint. Are you seriously challenging Caesar? Is this what you're doing? Are you trying to set yourself up against Rome? And that had to be a facetious question because Pilate saw before him a beaten and bruised man, a dirty man, Now, obviously, he had no support from the Jewish leadership. And there's no doubt that Pilate had heard about him. Uh, It would be hard to escape the buzz about Jesus in Jerusalem because he had healed so many people. And yet, there was nothing that ever came to his ears that this man named Jesus was trying to start a revolt. And so I think that he asked him tongue-in-cheek, Are you really a king? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest. Now, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, and this is where we find the complete record of the answer that Jesus gave to the question, Are you a king? Now, the Jews said to Pilate, We brought him to you because he is a criminal. Now, Pilate went back out on the porch. Jesus was inside the hall. This is an open place so that what's said on the outside can be heard on the inside. And so Jesus was on the inside, and Pilate stepped back in from the porch to question Jesus about those accusations that we just read in Luke 23. And here's the conversation, beginning in verse 33 of John 18. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now the gist of that conversation is as follows. Pilate stepped back in and he asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Did you think that up? Are you asking me this because you see some evidence that I am a king? Or did others plant that thought in your mind? And Pilate answered back. He said, well, this isn't my accusation. The Jews accuse you. I'm not a Jew. In other words, Pilate said, I don't have a dog in this fight. This is an accusation of your own people. And then Jesus went on to say, well, I am a king, but not in the way that you ask. 
My kingdom is not a political kingdom. Mine is a spiritual kingdom. And if it were otherwise, then my followers would fight in order to make me a king. Now let me pause there for just a moment to take you back to the night before when Jesus was betrayed and how that Peter's actions undermined the cause of Christ. Now remember that when Jesus was arrested that Peter stepped forward trying to stop the arrest, and he drew out his sword, and he struck off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus told Peter, put your sword back up. Now what Peter had done, he'd stepped beyond the authority of Christ's cause. Jesus could not have his servants use swords, and then at the same time come before Pilate and say, my servants will not fight to make me a king. And that's the trouble that you get into when you try to step out in front of the Lord. Whenever you think that you have a better way of getting things done, you're going to run into trouble. We're not to lead Christ. He's always supposed to be out in front of us. He takes the lead, and otherwise we're going to find ourselves in very difficult situations that will come back to bite us later, or we'll pay for later. So Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, then you would find yourselves in the middle of a fight that you can't win. Now, if Jesus had intended to bring the earthly kingdom at that time, all that we need to do is to look at the book of Revelation to see what the prognosis would be for the enemy. Jesus will conquer. No one prevails against him at that time when he comes to be the king of this world. So Pilate wasn't ready for that answer, so he asked him again. He said, what are you saying? Are you a king or are you not a king? And that's when Jesus went far beyond where Pilate was thinking. He reverted to his claim to be God. He said, for this cause came I into the world. What does that mean? I, I came into the world? And when you, when you get sworn in in a courtroom, and the bailiff says, well, raise your right hand here, and let, give us your full name and your date of birth, would you ever say this? Well, my name is such and such, and I came into the world in 1960. Well, I don't think that you would. Jesus said, I came into the world. And he said that because he existed outside of the world. That he was outside of world history. He's outside of the entire world's creation. He is before all things. You listen to this claim that's made in Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus is. He is, not he was. He is because Jesus is eternal. He's in the ever-present now. And that, in effect, is what Jesus said to Pilate. He said, I am eternally existent. And all that does is just add to the many others of the list of affirmations that we have that Jesus is God. He came into the world and he was born to be a king. And that is nothing other than a statement that there is an eternal plan that was given before the foundation of the world. All of that's above Pilate's pay grade. Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth, and those that are of the truth hear me. And folks, that's an outstanding statement. Jesus came into the world to call specific people who would learn truth. There isn't any randomness in God's plan. The covenant of redemption was made before the foundation of the world. And in time, Jesus came to seek and save those that would receive his truth. And how is it that they receive it? 
Well, the only way that they can is that God opens up their eyes. He illumines them to truth and to understanding. God is the one who reveals truth. And so what is the next question that uh, that Pilate asked? What is truth? And he didn't understand it. He never came to that understanding because God never gave him understanding of truth. And the next thing that we find in just a few hours, Pilate will crucify truth. Well, next, we see fourthly, the conviction of Jesus. Now, this heading is actually a trick. I want you to write the word not beside that because this was not a conviction. There is none. Now, it's obvious to Pilate there isn't anything here that warrants a death sentence. Jesus said, I'm not going to fight. Rome is not going to have any trouble with Jesus at this time, so there is no political problem. And because there was none, Pilate went back out and he stood on the porch and he said, I find no fault at all. Verse 38 in John 18, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault in, no, in him, no fault at all. Now you might want to circle the word find in your Bible because that's a legal word. Pilate said, I find no fault. In courtroom dramas, the jury returns from the deliberations and the judge asks, what say ye? And the jury says, we find the defendant innocent of all charges. And that's what Pilate did. He rendered his verdict. He said, I find. And that's a legal term that says, this is my judgment. I find him not guilty of all charges. I find no fault in him. Now, you know that verdict is not going to sit well with these Jewish people. The Jewish leaders have gone through double-double toil and trouble to get this whole thing this far. But what can Pilate do? He has to be honest about it. There's nothing here. The charges are groundless. Verse number 18 in Matthew 27 said it all, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Well, now comes an interesting interlude. If we return to Luke 23 for just a minute, if you'll turn your Bibles there, the the leader's reaction is expected when Pilate said, I find no fault in him. They feel this whole thing is starting to slip away from them. And so in Luke 23, verses 4 and 5, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee, to this place. Now here's the very thing that Pilate feared. This is not going to go away. The Jews are not going to throw up their hands and just walk away from this. They're not going to turn around and go home. Pilate said, I find no fault in him, and that's not good enough for them. And so it'll actually come to the point that they'll say, well, if you let him go, then you are not Caesar's friend. And how's that going to sit if that comes to Caesar's ears? So here's Pilate's dilemma. Truth and justice have to be balanced with keeping the peace. Well, something happens here that might solve his problem. It might give Pilate just a glimmer of hope that he can get out from under this and he can pass it off to someone else and not have to deal with these sham charges. Verse number 5. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged into Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, 
who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. Now, Pilate heard the word Galilee. He does this all the way from Galilee, and so his ears went up like a Doberman pincher. Jesus was not the Judean. Now, he actually was because he was born in Bethlehem, but nobody took recognition of that. He grew up in Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Most of his ministry was in Galilee. And so as soon as Pilate heard that, he said, there's something here that now he can pass Jesus off to someone else. He can let the Galilean tetrarch deal with this, let him take the mess off of his hands, and let him take the fall for whatever happens. Now notice here, before we continue, that we're at the end of the first phase of the trial. That's ended, and what is the verdict? Not guilty. There's no fault in him. They keep trying, but they continue to come up empty. They thoroughly scrutinize Jesus from every angle, and they can't find anything wrong. Well, that takes us into the second phase of the trial, and that is an appearance before Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the tetrarch of Galilee, and he just happened to be in Jerusalem at the time all this commotion is going on. Now, it wasn't actually happenstance that he was there. That's God's way of driving home the point once again that Jesus was not guilty. And we'll see it in a second. Now, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great, the one who had tried to kill Jesus at his birth. And Herod the Great had been dead for a while now, and his kingdom had been divided between four of his relatives. And that's why they're called tetrarchs. Tetrarch, of course, means four. So they're a, a division of four of Herod's kingdom. And one of those sections was Galilee, and Herod Antipas was the leader of Galilee. Now, the Herods, four of them, were little despots who were vassals of Rome. Herod Antipas didn't really have very much power, but he suited Pilate's purposes perfectly. Pilate was prone to ignore these Herods, didn't care very much for them. There was always contention between him and them because he never really, really uh, acknowledged their authority. And so he didn't pay attention to Herod in normal circumstances, but what's going on now is not normal. This was a way for, to get Jesus off of his hands. Now let me remind you again of how you know Herod Antipas. You remember the story of John the Baptist and how John the Baptist was beheaded? Herod Antipas is the one who beheaded John. Now, I don't have time to go into that whole story, but let me say that Herod was very intrigued by John. Uh, John the Baptist had sternly rebuked him for his illicit lifestyle, and Herod had a lot of trouble with John. John was difficult for him to deal with because the people regarded him as a prophet. And so these Christians we see in the Bible are always tough people to deal with. Peace or no peace can be determined about on how that you deal with Christians. And Herod was more or less tricked by his stupidity into beheading John the Baptist, and because he'd done that, it bothered his conscience. And so when he heard about Jesus, he was convinced that Jesus was John the Baptist that had risen from the dead. And perhaps maybe Jesus has come back to haunt him or something. And so Herod really wanted to meet Jesus. Now, Jesus was ministering in Galilee at that time, and... And uh, an interesting thing is that Tiberias is the largest city there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But not once did Jesus visit Tiberias in his whole Galilean ministry. And that's because Jesus didn't want to go there to confront Herod because he wanted no thoughts of a premature death. 
That's what happened with John the Baptist. So Jesus was not going to get, go there to confront him. And so Herod, all of this time, hearing about the miracles that Jesus did throughout Galilee, really wanted to see Jesus. So Herod is there, and, and he's speaking to Jesus. Jesus paid no attention to Herod. Now we look at Luke 23, verses 7 and 8. Herod was glad to see Jesus, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, that his pilot sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. So Herod wanted to see Jesus, because I think that he thought he was some sort of a circus magician. That, that Herod wanted to see a miracle, or we might interpret it this way, that he really wanted to see a good trick that Jesus could do. Verse number 9, Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Now the Jews followed the procession as Jesus was taken to Herod, and they stood before Herod and made all the same accusations that they'd made before Pilate. And Jesus did the same thing that he did. He heard all the accusations, but he never said a word. There is no response. And so Herod questioned him also, and still Jesus makes no comment. Herod, no doubt, demanded that Jesus should perform some kind of a trick, but Jesus consistently said nothing. Oh, as I said, Jesus had no respect for Herod at all. Now, he would talk to Pilate, he did talk to him a little bit, but he wasn't going to talk to this wicked man, Herod. Now, Herod thought that all of this is a silly hoax. He thought, here's a man who's crazy. Here's a man who fancies himself to be a king, but there's no royal blood in him. And so they mocked him. And perhaps they went to Herod's suitcase, and they got out his most expensive robe, and they put it on him. And all of that is just humiliation, just another way to make Jesus a laughing stock. And what's the result of this appearance? Still no condemnation, no death sentence, no conviction. Herod couldn't do anything with him, and so he just packed him up and sent him back to Pilate. Verse number 11, And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Now, Pilate and Herod were not friends but what Pilate had done here, he'd showed a little bit of deference to, to Herod. He, he asked for an opinion on a notable prisoner. And that just that little bit of recognition meant that Pilate validated Herod's authority. And so what that did, it thawed the freeze of relationship between them and they became friends. Well, now we're back to Pilate. He still can't get rid of Jesus. Two phases of the trial are complete. Pilate tried to get him off by... Uh, tried to get rid of this by passing him back to the Jews. He tried to get rid of him by sending him to Herod. Now he's back with still no conviction of a crime. Well, we go back now to Matthew 27, and Pilate comes up with another way to release Jesus. Now today I, I want to finish by introducing you to Barabbas, and we'll talk a little bit about him. We'll talk around him mostly because... I have a, a message to preach of a different sort in a couple of weeks on Barabbas. 
So we're through trying to convict Jesus now. That's not going to happen. There's not going to be a conviction. So the next phase of this is not about conviction. It's about who is going to control the outcome. So fifthly, we look at this, that Pilate loses control. Matthew 27, verse 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Now the Romans were always looking for a way to get on the good side of the people. There were many Jews that had been in prison that the Jews thought shouldn't be in prison. And so, at Passover time, the Romans would, would do them a favor by releasing a prisoner. Well, it is now Passover, and Pilate has this aha moment where he figures that it's possible to release Jesus if he makes him the favored prisoner to be released. And so his scheme was that he would choose the worst criminal that's in the dungeon, one that people would never choose to release, and then offer them a choice between that man and Jesus. Oh, he needed to choose someone who was a menace to society, the kind of prisoner that nobody would ever want to let out of prison, not somebody that you went back out on the streets endangering your wives and children at night. And Barabbas was that man. He was the worst one in the prison. And who knows, maybe he grew up a bully. Maybe he lived a life of crime. We do know this much, that according to John 18, he was a murderer. He's not someone that you want out roaming the streets. Now, nobody had ever petitioned Pilate before to let Barabbas go. At least not until the choice was between Barabbas and Jesus. Now, what Pilate did, he... He seriously underestimated the hatred for Jesus. And what he did with his scheme is he outsmarted himself. And this turns out to be a real problem because he ends up releasing a known seditionist in the place of one that he had determined to be innocent. So Pilate is thinking, he says, let me put Barabbas out there and let's see what happens. Well, the choice is obvious. Jesus is no threat to public safety. Barabbas is a train wreck of trouble. So you put him out there and put them both together, and this is a no-brainer. And I think that Pilate was right. I think the plan that he devised was a good plan, and it was going to work. Until there's a fly that gets in the ointment. Now at this point, the opposition to Jesus is just the Jewish leadership. The crowd, they were still in favor of Jesus, and they'd not been won over to the Jewish leader's side just yet. So they're in favor of Jesus. And I think that if Pilate had stepped out immediately to make this offer between Barabbas and Jesus, that it would have worked. But we have to remember this. There is nobody in control but God. And at the moment that Pilate was ready to make the deal, there was a messenger that came in with a, with a note from his wife. And Pilate didn't go out. And that delay for just that little bit of time caused the whole problem here that the messenger comes in with this with this urgent message and Pilate was delayed and so he sat back down on the judgment seat and he read the note and his wife said don't have anything to do with that just man because I've suffered many terrible things this night in a dream because of him now that's like an omen to Pilate now he thinks that the gods are against him but 
that pause, just not acting quickly enough while he considered the dream hurt him, and it took away his opportunity, and it gave the Jewish leaders time to stir up the people. And by the time that Pilate walked out back on the porch to make the offer to them, the whole mood of the crowd has changed. Well, what might it have been that the leader said that swayed the people? Well, we think about it for a minute. Isn't the kingdom always looming in the background? Didn't the people want to make Jesus their king? Way back when he was healing people and feeding the multitudes, they tried to make him a king, but Jesus wouldn't let them then. And then at the beginning of this week, of the Passion Week, when he came into Jerusalem, there were all kinds of shouts. He came into town on a donkey, and the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And they were right then ready to make him the successor to David. But now what happens? Jesus is taken before Pilate, and Pilate questioned him, and Pilate came back out and said, there isn't an insurrection here. He's not trying to become the king of Israel. He's not trying to overthrow Rome. And so what is that? That's all hopes dashed. The people wanted him to be a political king. But that's not what he was going to be. They wanted him to be a polit political savior. And they see now that he's not. And so they proclaim Jesus as a fraud. And that's what it took to turn them around. And they're fickle anyway. Crowds are always this way. They act with a crazy mob mentality. And that's why people set fires to their own homes and burn them down, as we see in riots today. Well, that's another story, but get me into political trouble, so we won't talk about that. So the crowd here has been turned around, and it only took a few minutes. And Pilate stepped out on that porch unaware that a change had been made. In verse 21, the governor answered, He's back out on the porch, and the governor answered and said unto them, Whither are the twain? Which of these two will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Now you have to believe that that was a shock to Pilate. Now he's thinking, oh no, this can't be happening. He's lost control of the proceedings. The plan didn't work. Now he should have stopped this whole charade a long time ago at the very beginning, but now he's seriously behind the eight ball. But nevertheless, he still hoped to let him go. Verse 22, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Now one more time we see Pilate says he's innocent. He hasn't done any evil. Why put him to death? Well, the mob mentality had taken over. Now there's no reasoning with them. And so they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. If the Romans want him freed, then he can't be good. If he's Pilate's friend and if he's Herod's friend, then we don't like him. He is no good. Now, folks, that's much more in character of the way the Jews normally acted. That shows their real feelings for Rome. And do you see how the whole thing twists and turns as we've gone through this? When they delivered Jesus up to be crucified, or when they brought him to Pilate for trial, they're on the side of Rome, aren't they? This guy's trying to commit an insurrection against you, so you need to kill him. They're on the side of Rome. But now Rome wants to let him go. They're no longer on the side of Rome. They're against Jesus, and that's the way it normally is. So Pilate lost control, and in just a few minutes... The whole thing has changed. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye 
to it. So a tumult was made, and that's precisely what he tried to avoid. This thing's going to come back to bite him, and he was sure of it. Caesar's going to hear about this, and it's going to mean his job or, and his life. So this is no win for him. He will crucify an innocent man and release a known seditionist, and Rome is, Rome is not served either way. So his next move was to take a basin of water, and in a symbolic gesture, he washed his hands of the affair. He said, I am innocent. But he was as guilty as he could be. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now if only it was this easy to get rid of Jesus. What must I do with Jesus? And one more time he declared him innocent. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. And he said to them, do what you want. And so Pilate thought that he'd passed the guilt off. And the Jews said, well, that's a good deal. His blood be on us and on our children. And that guilt stuck. They accepted the blame. Now later the leaders didn't want to take that blame so much. Listen to what they said to the apostles when they preached Christ. This is after the death, the resurrection, after Pentecost. They said to the apostles, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So they took a different tact when there are thousands that are turning to Christ. They didn't want anything to do with the blame. Now what's really happened here is that the Jewish leaders had double-crossed their own people. They stood back while they killed the innocent man, and they said, well, we didn't have anything to do with that. That was the Romans that killed Jesus, even though they're the ones that started the whole mess. Now let me show you another remarkable verse, and I'll close. I'd like you to go to Acts chapter 2, and uh, it's the day of Pentecost. Peter had just preached his great sermon, and... In that sermon, he implicated these very same people in the death of Jesus. Now, if you look at verse number 23, this is as he's preaching that sermon. He says, him, Acts 2.23, him, that is Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So there, Peter very clearly says, you killed him. You are the ones that are to blame. Now, so much for those who argue that it wasn't the Jews that crucified Christ. Now, they heard the sermon, and they heard how that Jesus was a king, and that he would sit on the throne of David, and now they've just learned they crucified their Messiah. Now, that was a powerful sermon, and they were guilty. They'd wanted him crucified so badly. And then look what happens, verse number 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So they said, Look what we've done. The Holy Spirit convicted their hearts and they said, What can we do? And Peter said, Repent. Trust Christ. Trust his name and show that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection and be baptized. And then look at this tremendous verse that follows, number 39. This is where we're getting to. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now they'd said to Pilate, 
You let this curse, you let His blood be on us and our children. Let us take that curse. Let us take the curse for killing innocent blood. And what did God say here? He says, well, your children can be released from that curse. Repent and believe and be saved from this wicked generation. Verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now what do we learn then? We have to decide what to do with Jesus. Nobody's indifferent. You can't wash your hands of Jesus. Jesus said, you're either for me or you are against me. There isn't any mental ground with him. You either release him by your belief or you crucify him in unbelief. And if you reject him, his blood is on your hands. And friends, I'm going to tell you this. It's a stain that you'll never be able to wash away. If you reject him, the penalty of the cross is your penalty. But the Word of God says that the curse can be lifted from you. There's actually a curse that's been put on of all of mankind because of our sin. And the only one that can ever lift that curse is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that lifts that curse. And he does it by the righteousness of faith. And so, may I suggest something to you? Turn your life over to Jesus' control. You are out of control with your life. You are out of your control when it comes to this issue, the destiny of your soul. You are out of control and you're going to lose this thing just as Pilate lost it. If you don't answer that question correctly, what must I do with Jesus? And I hope that you answer in the right way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we think about this terrible act of injustice that was done against Jesus. We think about the cruelty that was imposed upon him. Later we'll come to the cross and see what they did. But right here, through many, many instances, it was declared that Jesus was innocent and the people's hearts were turned to their wickedness and they wanted to crucify him. And Lord, we face that same dilemma today that there are people who do not believe even if Jesus was standing right in front of us today, they would not trust him. They would say, crucify him, because they don't like to have their sins exposed. Now, Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would speak peace to the hearts, that you would open their eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and see there is only one way to be released from the curse of sin, and that is to have our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Well, I just pray that you'd open someone, someone's eyes to that truth today. Help us, Lord to see you as you truly are, the Savior who gave his life to save us from our sins. Speak to someone today in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.